To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the Essential Bible Studies Podcast. My name's Dan, and I'm here with Tim today. <laughs> Thanks, Dan, for that very quick and short introduction. It's great to have you here with us again, Dan. And to talk about the ways of providence, the hand of God, kind of more scriptural term, that we've been talking about how God works in the background of events in our lives. And that's what we talked about last week, was kind of a more personal sense of seeing God working in our lives, what providence is versus, say, miracles, outright visible hand of God. But it's really important to kind of get this sense of God working our lives through angels and those kind of things. And if we're truthful to God, if we're faithful to God, that he will work in our lives. And there is something called chance, which just happens. But when we are the called according to God's purpose, we can believe that he is actually working in our lives so, and that he's directing our paths in that sense. So we looked at all sorts of different examples from Job and David and Abigail and David and Esther and just picking out examples of how God worked behind the scenes and just the everyday kind of daily tasks, which might seem mundane to us to bring about whatever his purpose was. So very key and central to our belief of God working in our lives. So now we're going on to another aspect of the ways of providence. Yeah, there's a whole other aspect to this topic, of course, is how God works in the nations. And, And I guess the way I like to look at it is that God has a plan. God has a plan to set up his kingdom on earth with his son ruling over the world. And he needs a government, and he needs people that are part of that kingdom. So with God seeing that in advance, God is not only working in our personal lives so that we can be Mm -hmm. the subjects of that kingdom, that we can be the people in that kingdom, God is also working with the world to bring about the return of his son so that his son can be the king in that kingdom. Yeah, so you're talking about a whole worldview aspect when we look at the nations and everything that's happening politically around the world, we can see the hand of God as well. Absolutely. And we talked about the last podcast of how this gives us comfort, knowing that God is directing our lives and helping us through the trials that Jacob went through. Right. Well, what about in the world that we live in today? You know, you watch the rulers that are corrupt and you watch wars and pandemics happen, all these things happen, wouldn't it be comforting to know that God is in control of all those things too? We know he's in control, right? but we need to talk today about some of the proofs that we have in the scripture of how God does that, how God accomplishes these things. I can just think of the huge practical implications this outlook has in our lives and how we live and the things that we do and the things that we dedicate our time to. And so it really, to me comes down to that key verse that you had at the beginning. You want to read that for us and just tell us what you think about that. Absolutely. So it's worth reading again, like you say. It says, to the end, and I guess he's referring to what happened in Daniel and the events of Daniel chapter 4, and in fact, all of Daniel, of how God worked with Nebuchadnezzar. 
And he says the end or the purpose of all this is that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. Mm-hmm. God's ruling. You know, even though it looks like the rulers are in their place, it's actually God who is in control. And you can see what it says there. He gives it to whom he will. And interestingly, as many of us can attest to, he sets over it the lowliest of men in reality. It's the people who aspire to that power who probably aren't the most suited for the positions always. Interesting. Yeah, that key verse is so key. And I think in this chapter, it's so important that it's repeated two more times to Nebuchadnezzar because the whole context of this passage is Nebuchadnezzar is lifted up with pride. He thinks he's done all this great stuff and God's going to put him in his place. He's going to become crazy like an animal for seven years for the very intent purpose that Nebuchadnezzar might know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so when Nebuchadnezzar comes back to his senses, he says in verse 35 of Daniel 4, He says, the whole purpose of this is that all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. This is what he's learned. And he does, that's God, does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Isn't that amazing that those are Nebuchadnezzar's words? Right. That he's able to see that? Imagine one of our rulers today (laughs) admitting that God was in control and had set them in their position. Right. So Nebuchadnezzar wants everybody to know that this is the fact and that God is doing whatever he wills amongst the nations. No one can stop him from doing it. There's an interesting description of how God does this in Proverbs chapter 21. I'll just read for you verse 1 of Proverbs 21. It says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Hmm. So you can imagine how God created and he put rivers in place and the water goes in a certain direction, doesn't it? It goes downhill. It goes according to the terrain of the land. And I think this verse is telling us that that's the way it is with kings. God knows their character. God knows what they're like. And he sets in place the right people at the right time so that the things that he needs to accomplish are accomplished. And God's plan just is taken a step further by the rulers he puts in place. There's a couple places in scripture that are pretty surprising when you read them because these rulers are not always righteous rulers. He sometimes uses people who you think, what, God's using that person? One Hmm. of these is Cyrus, who is the king of Persia, and he was a great warrior. I mean, no holds barred kind of warrior, you know, take no prisoners. He was by no means a righteous person, yet God used him in his dealings with the children of Israel to the fact that he's prophesied about in Isaiah. In Isaiah 45, and in verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, that's just interesting, it says his anointed, Mm -hmm. to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. So Cyrus, this Persian king, is not an Israelite or anything like that. God is saying, I've anointed this person to be king. I've put him in his place for a very special reason. And 
the reason was to bring the children of Israel back to their land after a 70-year captivity by the Babylonians. And it's interesting that that whole history is recorded for us in Ezra. And it starts off this way by mentioning Cyrus in Ezra chapter 1. And by the way, Cyrus being prophesied in Isaiah is years and years before mm-hmm. his actual occurrences. So yeah, God gave him his name beforehand. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. He knew, he knew what his name was going to be and the position that he was going to hold that we read about here in Ezra 1 verse 1. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And the spirit of the Lord stirred up. What's interesting about Cyrus, Tim, is that history tells us that Cyrus's policy was to take other nations and send them back to their land and right. set up their worship of their God. I think his thinking was that if if all the nations were praying to all their gods for his prosperity— then things would go well. And so God knew that there was this nation that had a different policy than the kings before them. And he knew that Cyrus was the right king to put in place. And so God was guiding the actions of Cyrus because he knew the character of Cyrus. It wasn't that he sent him a direct message saying, you know, you need to do this or that. It's that that was his character and his policy. And so God ensured that he was the king at the right time for the Jews to go back to the land. Interesting example. Yeah, it's really fascinating. If you go back to Isaiah 44, you took us to 45 verse 1. If you go back to the verse before that at the end of chapter 44, Cyrus is called God's shepherd, Hmm. which is really interesting. And he shall fulfill all my purpose. Hmm. So he's the anointed. That almost sounds like what Christ is called. (laughs) Yes. You know, and he's a shepherd and God is going to use him for his purpose. There's another example of a king before him, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and it's over in Ezekiel chapter 30. I'm just going to turn that one up. What I like about this example of Nebuchadnezzar is it actually kind of describes how God would do things. So if we just turn over to Ezekiel chapter 30 and verse 21. Now, I'll give you a bit of a historical background Egypt was the predominant power in reference to Israel at the time, yeah. but things had to turn around. God wanted to judge Israel by means of Babylon and by Nebuchadnezzar. So how do you shift world power from Egypt to Babylon? Well, history tells us, but look at the description here in verse 21. It says, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and behold, it has not been bound up to heal it by binding with a bandage so that it might become strong to wield the sword. Kind of poetic language there, isn't it? So their armies became less powerful, in other words, is what that's saying. And nobody could strengthen them again. Okay? So what about Babylon then, when we just go down a little bit further there? And verse 24, I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand, but I will break the arms of Pharaoh and he will groan before him like a man mortally wounded. <laughs> I get a picture there as if God is like playing a, a game of chess. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it sounds like to you, but... Yeah? You know, he puts his sword in the hand and strengthens the arm of, of the king of Babylon, and he breaks the arm of Egypt. And that's what God, 
I think, still is doing in the world today. He's directing the nations, and he's making them act in the way that, that he should. Now, I guess the question is, how does God do that? You know, how does God direct nations like that? For example, Cyrus, how did God put Cyrus in control at the right time with that policy? Well, I made a list of things in the Bible. So during a battle between Deborah and Barak and Sisera, mm-hmm. there was a rainstorm that totally turned the course of the battle. Right. So you can look in history and you can see sometimes natural events are what change the balance of power. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, he might also work slowly to develop characteristics in people. Uh, You think of religious. A lot of wars are based on religion, aren't they, and culture. So you can look back and see some of the battles that are taking place and see that it's based on the history of how those two nations developed. And God's working with his angels behind the scenes to accomplish this. Or you might think of all the interest in the Middle East today. Why do you think there's so much interest in the Middle East? Probably what's under the ground, right? The, <laughs> the oil and natural gas reserves yeah, that yeah. are there. So suddenly in our day when, when everybody needs these resources, that's where the interest is. I don't know. It's interesting to think yeah. about how God accomplishes this. Yeah. Or just mm-hmm. the general spirit and the economic times and those kind of things. God just moving little things here and there that have this overall effect upon society and how they either prosper or they're in trouble and those kind of things. And those circumstances drive certain events, right? Yeah, so, maybe pandemics. That <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole character. Yeah. But I guess the thing is, is how do we feel about that, that these rulers are guided by God? Are they aware of that, do you think? Uh, I don't think so. Like you said, we're talking about the invisible hand of God of providence and just the everyday aspects of life. It doesn't seem like they're aware of it. Yeah, we think of our example of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, we've talked about how God was breaking the hand of Pharaoh and strengthening the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And yet when Nebuchadnezzar comes to power and he looks at the position that he's in, in Daniel chapter 4, that chapter that we started with, Look at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power? In my Bible, I've circled I and my. It was all about him, you know? I've done this for the glory of my majesty. And that's what you referenced. At that point, God took away his power for seven years to teach him that, no, that's not you. So I think the leaders that are in control today probably have a similar feeling that it's by their skill that they're in position, but it's God that's guiding those things. Yeah, so that's interesting. Like, they don't know God is directing events, but I still think when I read Scripture, they're still responsible. It's not like because there's some sort of pawn that God says, it's okay, whatever you do forever because I've used you, right? There's quite a bit about Nebuchadnezzar in in other books of the Bible and and in Jeremiah because he talks about the destruction of Israel. There's one specific passage I'm thinking about where he says in Jeremiah 25 verse 9 that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be used by God. It says, Behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants against all of these surrounding nations. 
So in that passage, Nebuchadnezzar is called God's servant. Like you're saying, he's being used for judgment against the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. So God has given him certain opportunities to develop this strong nation that he might come and judge Israel. But it's almost like they step over their bounds, like Nebuchadnezzar, like we see in Daniel 5, becomes very prideful. And it says just a few verses down in Jeremiah 25, verse 12, then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So there's prophecies against Babylon because of their wickedness. That even though just a few verses earlier it says, this is my servant to do my <laughs> will, they don't always follow that. They overstep their bounds and they destroy much more than what God has called for. And yeah. God takes them to account for that. And yeah, he holds them responsible holds them for responsible, what they've done, right. even though they're fulfilling part of his master plan. It's, uh, right. it's remarkable, the power of God. Right. Yeah. So all of this makes me wonder, like, where do we stand? How does this affect our lives? Yeah, I think that's one of the most important things. All of these topics should become practical in our life of service to God. So we recognize that God is in control of the nations. Well, how does that affect our involvement then in things like politics? Right. As Christadelphians, we don't get involved in politics. And I think a lot of that is because our understanding that God is setting up the rulers. Right. So in terms of voting... Well, do we need to vote? Because God is the one that ultimately decides who he wants to be in place. And as you've referenced, it's not always the people that have the greatest <laughs> character, right? Right. <laughs> that might be an obstacle for people who are trying to wrap their heads around how God works among the nations. Well, why would God put in place someone like Hitler? Mm. You know, like, how, how would God allow Hitler to be in place? Well, that's a fascinating thing when you think about it, because it actually brought about the return of Israel to their homeland because there was a sympathy for the Jews after the Holocaust. Yeah. So at the time, you'd be like, what's going on here? Yeah. But after the fact, you can understand how God would accomplish this. But, you know, get back to your question there about politics. We wouldn't, as Christadelphians, run for government. We wouldn't be involved in politics that way. We don't protest. We wouldn't join the military. These are all things that we avoid because we understand that God is in control. Right. And that's kind of maybe for some people a new thing. If you're a Christian, there's often a touting of being involved in government and voting and voting for the right person. But what we're talking about here is really in the overarching purpose of God is that the kingdoms of this world might become the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. right? It's a far-sighted kind of aspect of this world. And you realize from Scripture that the way that God views the nations, like the United States or Russia or Canada, Australia, all these, all these nations in the world, the Bible says he sees them as a drop in the bucket, hmm. like they're nothing. That's what Nebuchadnezzar realized, when we read that passage from Daniel chapter 4, right, that they're nothing. So it's just this kind of worldview that we're talking about and how it impacts our life. Are we going to invest our time in the here and now? You know, people get so involved in the government's 
like I've got to vote for this person because I don't want my taxes to be raised and all that kind of stuff. And it just gets involved in politics in working with those of the world that's just the here and now. When the Bible is calling us to something that's much more greater and grander in the purpose of God. And that's where our hearts and our minds are set for. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, there's a great comfort in knowing that God is in control of these things. We talk about it in our personal lives, but mm. how wonderful is it to know that when you see a leader that's set up that you question why? A lot of people did that when Trump came to power. Yeah. But God has some purpose in it, and we try to look for that. But uh, it's really comforting to me to not have to get stressed out with all the things that are going on in politics, to realize God's in control. Yeah. Of course, the big event right now is Russia's invasion of Ukraine as we record this in 2022. You know, from a worldly perspective, it's quite shocking. You would never have thought the world would ever, ever see war and such atrocities like we're seeing now. Yeah. It's just terrible. But from a biblical perspective, it's not surprising. Who knows what will happen in the short term, but we know that Russia plays a major part in Latter-day prophecies. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely more to come in God's plan, and, but that's a topic for another day. But in light of what we've been talking about, just look at Russia and Putin. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's so great, right? Yeah. He <laughs> sounds like Nebuchadnezzar in some sa- ways oh, when yeah, he looks at it yeah. with and the you, same ambitions. Yeah, like what you're talking about. When you have that perspective and you kind of look and say, well, why has God put that person in power? You know, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Especially with somebody like that, right? Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder how it all fits in with the prophecy of the Bible. Yet at the same time, when we talked about God holds these leaders responsible, I think there's a balance here, right? Because as you say we're not involved in politics, we're not involved in in those ways because we have a greater promise. But we are watching, and we do have a say or an opinion on some of these things. And just because somebody's put in office that we can see God's hand at work doesn't mean that they're absolved of their responsibilities. And we might have some opinions about what they're doing and whether it's in accordance with God's will, because we can see that these people can overstep their bounds. Mm -hmm. And he uses the lowliest of men. And a great example of this is right from that chapter in Daniel chapter 4 that we've been referencing so much. Daniel had some advice for Nebuchadnezzar before he actually came to his senses before he became crazy for seven years. And it's in verse 27. And I think this is a great example. Daniel said to the king, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So Daniel wasn't afraid to give some very pointed advice, like which one of us would say that to a a leader, right? Mm -hmm. But it needs to be said. We still, living by the principles of the Bible, can express the principles of the Bible, even to those who God has set in power. Yeah. And another aspect of this whole topic, when we understand that God's in control, is how we speak about the rulers that are in power. Mm, I mean, yeah. we're all so quick to criticize, aren't we? And yeah. how would we do if we were in that position? But really, the Bible tells us that we should have a respect for the leaders. We may not respect everything that they say or some of their principles that we have to stand apart from, but when we recognize that God has put them in that position, there should be a level of respect that we have. 
Um, there's a very fascinating direction that's given to us by Paul, who gave this advice to Timothy under inspiration in First uh, of Timothy chapter 2. He said, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So we need to pray. But what does he say? For kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we should pray for the politicians. We should pray for those that are in authority rather than criticize them. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) That's hard to do sometimes. But you can see, too, that the prayer is that God would extend his will, that there would be a peace and prosperity that people can worship God. Because there are some countries, of course, where people can't worship God. Yeah, comparing Scripture with Scripture is very important, and getting that balance in our lives about how we see the nations, how we talk about rulers and all those kind of things. I really appreciate that, Dan. It's been a really great conversation. It really sets a very good basis for prophecy, because when I think about prophecy, it's not just God's ability to predict the future. It's God's ability to bring about his will in our lives and in the whole world, Mm -hmm. right? Just to see the hand of God through providence in a personal way and in a worldview way. It's so helpful. And we really kind of have to hone that kind of perception in our life. That's what God wants for us, right? He wants us to know. Absolutely. He will never leave us or forsake us. I think back to our first episode on this topic where we talked about the root of the word, providence, which means to see beforehand. And I think that's the weakness we have. We can't see the future, but God can see the future. God knows the end from the beginning. God knows what he's going to accomplish. And he's directing, like we said, both our personal lives and the world events to bring about that end. And what a comfort it is to know that God is in control of all these things. If we could see the future, we could probably do the same thing. But we have the scriptures to guide us, which is a real benefit. All right. Thank you very much, Dan, for being here. I'd like to go back and invite people to go to BibleBasicsWebinar.com. Absolutely. Where they can go and meet you in person on a Zoom session. So you can do that Thursday nights? Yeah, you can do that live on Thursday nights, or you can go watch the uh, archive videos at any time. Just like you, we have a lot of great presenters, Bible students that come in and and share their knowledge of other topics of the Bible. So people can join us on Tuesday nights, the Essential Bible Studies. If you go to our website at essentialbiblestudies.org, you can sign up for our Zoom sessions on Tuesday nights, and then you can show up on Thursday nights with Dan. <laughs> there you go. You <laughs> really fill up a lot of good time with a good Bible Absolutely. study. Absolutely. Thursday at 8 Eastern and 5 Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Dan. Yeah, thank you very much. Nice to have joined you. study of the Bible is more than just to gain knowledge. It's so that it might impact our lives, how we think, how we act, and how we love. Our prayer is that the time we spend together around God's Word might truly be a blessing to you.
We're giving away free Essential Bible Study Media Kits, which include stickers, bookmarks, and business cards. This is a really cool way to share the podcast, and I wouldn't blame you if you kept some of it for yourself. I have to say this is a pretty sweet package. All you have to do is send us your mailing address using our website contact form or direct message us on Instagram or Facebook, and then wait anxiously at the mailbox for it to arrive. If you like the podcast, please just take a little bit of time and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you see stars. I love seeing stars, especially five stars. Little things like this can be a big boost for spreading these essential Bible studies. Essential Bible Studies is brought to you by the Book Road Christadelphian Ecclesia on the outskirts of a lovely place we call Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. Until next time, my dear friends, may God help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.